Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim, and it's my privilege to often share with you from God's Word. Today, we um, are starting a new series. Last week, we finished our series in Isaiah. Uh, Today, we're starting a series on the 10 core values here at Central Heights Church. You don't have to uh, belong to part of Central Heights, I think, to benefit from this, because our, our 10 core values are driven by biblical principles. And So all of us can benefit from it, but for us here, they are the underlying foundation to our direction as a church family and the basis for the decisions that we make. In other words, we have agreed that these are most important to us. So if you have your Bibles, please go to John chapter 17. I'm going to speak a little differently today in that it's going to be quite thematic instead of looking at one passage of Scripture as we normally do and go very deep with it. We're going to be looking at a number of them, but we will start with John chapter 17 as we looked at today's core value, which is knowing God. So Rick was a professing Christian. He knew church life quite well, knew the way a churchgoer should uh, behave, the language um, that he should use in order to fit in the culture. He could pray before a meal, he could do the church thing, he could keep himself from doing anything that would be observed by other people as immoral, so he knew how to keep himself out of trouble. He got married, they had kids, they had nice kids like Rick. People from the outside might look at their family and go, wow, what an outstanding Christian family. And then it fell apart. I've changed the name and I'll spare you the details, but in the Marriage crashing that happened, Rick was awakened to some harsh realities, and in the pain in the pit, he discovered that not only did he need to salvage his marriage, but more than that, he needed to know God. And in the dark of what he was going through, it was as if someone turned a light on and reawakened him to the reality of the joy of knowing Jesus. John 17 is a prayer of Jesus to his Father, and he begins with this. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. These words were spoken by Jesus soon before he would go to his crucifixion that we remembered last weekend. He tells us that to know God, in essence, is eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Could there be anything more important to us than eternal life? Knowing God is the ultimate pursuit. I look back on my life and some of the things as I've grown up, now that I'm grown up, I'm all grown up, as, I, as I've grown up and the, and the things that I did that sort of captured my attention and my fancy in my mid to late teens, Kind of crazy, I pursued this hobby of fishing, and I subscribed to the Field and Stream magazine. Uh, if you don't know what a magazine, in, magazine is, it's these um, printed pages, usually with a glossy cover, and they send it to you in this, uh, by this service called the Postal Service. Uh, you may not be familiar with that either, but I would receive every once in a while this glossy magazine called Field and Stream, all about fishing. 
And so I got into fishing so much so that I even got into fly fishing and I bought a vise uh, for, for hooks. You put your hook in the vise and you'd buy feathers and you'd buy um, thread and you'd buy glue and you'd look at the kind of flies that would hatch in a certain area and you'd try and tie a fly that would match that so you could catch more fish. I mean, I was really into it. So I got into fly fishing and I learned to take this fly rod and whip this Floating, floating fly line. Now, you can try it. It's not easy. Um, but I learned how to, without making this whole nest, just flick that line out there and sail it out into the waters and put it right over the fish's mouth. It was great. I don't fly fish anymore. <laughs> Early 20s, I got into cars. Um, especially they're referred to as muscle cars. And so my, one of my favorite cars was a 67 Camaro. I had a number of them, and it had the hideaway headlights. To me, that was the most cool thing, that the, the, the headlights could be hidden away. And then I love this car, and it was a tricked-up car. When I bought it, it was a quarter-mile car, so it was made to drag race, but I owned it for the street. That didn't really make a lot of sense. But it was really fun. If I needed to get away from somebody, I could get away from someone faster than anybody else. That was fun. But what was not so fun was watching my gas gauge, because I kid you not, I could go from Yarrow to Abbotsford, where I lived at the time, and literally watch my gas gauge move as I was driving. I'm not into cars anymore. I just think of them as transportation. Knowing God is way better. Knowing God is better than chocolate. Knowing God is better than a 30-day all-expense trip to an all-inclusive in the Mexican Riviera. Knowing God is better than your hockey team winning the Stanley Cup in Game 7 overtime. Amen. How do I know that? Because all these things come to an end. They lose their luster. They die. And it's not that they're necessarily bad things. It's just that eternal life is eternal. It's forever. And it's of a different quality, a different kind. Nothing on this earth compares in any way to what God is talking to us about in the subject of eternal life. And the essence of that is knowing him. This is life eternal, that they might know you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If that's true, don't you think knowing God would be the ultimate pursuit? So you are enamored with the group you two, and you would like to get to know them. To know someone, you've got to spend time with them. But how are you going to get to know them? I mean, what are the chances of you getting to know Bono? How many people would want to know him, spend time with him? Well, so many. But the security that they'd have around them and all the, the gates, the gatekeepers, before you could even have a conversation with him, good luck with that. What should our chances be with God? Knowing who he is and what he's about? How could we know him? The word know often means intimate knowledge. It's even used of the, of the sexual act to know someone in that way. So there is disclosure. How could I ever know God intimately? Well, this is the part of the amazing of, of Christianity. God wants you to know him. This is very much the reason for Jesus. And we all hate to be misunderstood, so he sent his son. 
I was talking to a contractor friend this weekend, and he was telling me about a job that he did. And in his conversation with a developer and, and discussing with them what they wanted uh, to be done, he told them it, it, it's flawed, it's not going to work. But they asked for him to do it anyways, and so he did, and it turned out just like he said, it did not work. And those that didn't know about the conversation, guess who they blamed? God gets blamed. He gets blamed for a lot of things, bad things. He's misunderstood. And so he sends his son. He sends Jesus. See, God the Father, we, we read in John, no one has fully seen him, so he sends his son Jesus, and Jesus Christ declares God to humanity. In John 17, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So Jesus made known to the world, to the disciples and those that were around him, he made known to them the character, the nature, what God is like. He is the perfect representation of God the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. This is why Jesus is so important. You cannot know God apart from Jesus. Have you ever wondered why in conversations you can talk about God in, in, the, in general terms and it's all okay, but as soon as you start talking about Jesus, what happens? It's like tension rises because that's the crux of the issue. That's the crux of knowing God. It's all about Jesus. Well, you might say, I don't, I don't want to be so limiting. How else can I know God? And God would, God would say to you, you got to know my son. I'm telling you, look at my son. There's no other way to know God than through my son, Jesus. God sent his son. He took on human flesh. He became like humanity so that he could, he could exegete, so that he could declare God to us, so that we could look at him and see, oh, that's what God is truly like. There is not going to be any other way than his son, Jesus. He sent his son. That is how much God wants you to know him. But God doesn't only want you to know him, it gets better. He wants you to be with him. So let's go back to Bono. You like his music a lot. You like him a lot. You want to get to know him. That's sweet. But you don't just, I mean, it'd be great to meet him, right? I mean, what are the chances of that happening? But imagine this. Imagine you've met him. And then a couple weeks later, he calls you up and he says, you know what, I'm buying an oceanfront property in Kitsilano. Like it's a big piece of property right on the water. And I'm building a house for myself. I want to build a house for you too. Right beside me. Would that be good news? I mean, if you like Bono, if you like you too, would that be good news? You go, I don't know, Bono. Will you pay the taxes? I mean, because taxes are expensive in Vancouver. Oh, that'd be such good news. See, we talk about the gospel. That's a Christian terms, term, and it refers to God's story. And the word gospel means good news. It's the story of God and the good news of his love. And the story begins really well. You know, God created this world, and he created human, uh, human beings. And he looked, and he said, this is good. This is very good. And then... 
the representative of mankind messes it up just like we mess it up today. So there's this separation from God. There's separation from one another. And that has gone on ever since. You just look at the news and you can see how we don't get along with each other, how we mess things up. And as we heard last week, it not only brought death to mankind, but it brought death to creation, to our natural world. But when we take a peek at the end of the story, we see restoration. And even as Wes read during our worship time here this morning, in the second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, as it gives us a glimpse into the future and it tells us there will be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering and sorrow and tears. And, and he sees, John, as he has this vision, he sees the heavenly city, the people of the place where the people of God are, Jerusalem, lowered down, and then these words, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. See, God not only wants you to know him, he wants to be with you. In John, just a couple of chapters before this prayer of Jesus, in John chapter 14, he's told the disciples, you know, I'm going to be leaving, but not to worry, because it's part of a bigger plan. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? It's not even the house beside him. He's giving us an image. Like this would be a room in his house. I'm going to prepare that for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Where I am, you may be also. Where I am, you may be also. That we can be together. That you will be with me. God not only wants you to know him, he wants to be with you. At the end of John's prayer, or Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Two of the best days in my life have been when my girls have gotten married. And you send out these invitations to the people that you love and that they love, and then it's this amazing event. And you know, you're so excited for your children and what's going on there, but there's another piece to that, and that is that all, you know, all your favorite people, not, not everybody can come, and you can't invite everybody, but so many of your favorite people are together in one place. Like It's just the most joyous day as you just celebrate the love that you have for, for each other and for the couple. You want to be with them. It's just amazing. God wants to be with you. He's given you an invitation. We saw last week in Isaiah 55. Come, 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 come to me. It's not just a future thing, although that will be in more in its fullness. But God has invited us right now to come to him, to be with him. He not only wants you to know him, he wants to be with you. So God has made knowing him possible. It'd be one thing to live uh, with a rock star. It'd be another thing to live with God. So 
We know some of the stories in Scripture. Invited by God, Moses walks up to this mountain where God is, and God has to instruct him to put, you know, make a barrier, uh, like rope off the base of the mountain, set limits so that other people won't come up, because if they come up, they will die. Later, Moses wants to see more of God's glory, and God says, you, you can't see it all. It would kill you. So understand that to know God fully at this point in time would be lethal. Isaiah, we saw in Isaiah chapter 6, he gets a glimpse of God's holiness, and, and as he gets this picture of the temple of God and God in it, and the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, Isaiah cries out, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. John, the disciple, walked with Jesus on earth, but when he sees Jesus unveiled in the book of Revelation, he falls at his feet as dead. Psalm 24 asks the question, like, who can, buy, who can abide in God's presence? He gives an answer, but really nobody can, because no one is clean except for one person, Jesus. And Jesus has made a way for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. This is part of God's plan for us, that we know him, that we'd be with him. In the term salvation, so often we emphasize the forgiveness of sins. We remember that we are saved from something, but let's remember that we are saved to something. We are saved to a full-on relationship with God in this life that is going to become even more glorious in the next. Jesus not only revealed God, he made a way for us to be with God, both future and present. When the Apostle Paul recalls what Jesus has done for us, he so quickly turns to the subject uh, that he just marvels about, that we have access to God. So you, you read, for example, in Ephesians chapter 3, when he talks about the gospel and what God has done, he said, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, this is what God has always wanted to do, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Because of Jesus and what he has done, we can come boldly into the presence of God. See, I'm thinking about the story of the woman at the well in, in Samaria when Jesus met her. She's a woman who's probably very ashamed of her life and her, her lifestyle, so she comes to the well in midday when nobody would be there because of the heat of the day, and there she meets Jesus, and Jesus knows her, like he knows about her life without her telling him anything. He knows her, just like God knows each one of us. He knows all about us. He knows the hidden things. He knows the things that would bring, we would, we would think, bring us shame and guilt. He knows those things. 
But look what Jesus does in that story. He doesn't condemn her because he didn't come to condemn. He came to take care of the problem of our shame and guilt and sin. And so she walks away from that encounter with Jesus, not feeling worse, not feeling down and darkened. She walks away from that encounter with Jesus feeling like a changed person. And she becomes an ambassador for Jesus Christ. As God's plan is for us to more fully know him in the future, he's already given us the privilege of coming to him in the present despite all the mistakes that we have made because of Jesus. God has made knowing him possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, number one. Number two, through the Holy Spirit. I talked about my friend Rick earlier and how he got his life turned around for Jesus. While a marriage crisis was really the catalyst for what happened in his life, what really turned his life around was to discover, to acknowledge, to understand and welcome the activity of the Holy Spirit in his life. As he began to encounter God through his Holy Spirit, his life began to change. See, God has made knowing him possible through the comforter, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of what is to come in our relationship with God in the future. It's like a, having a relationship with God through his Holy Spirit is like a taste of heaven now, in this life. The Holy Spirit makes God known to us. Paul puts it in extraordinary terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He talks about who knows a person's thoughts. He asks this general question. Who knows a person's thoughts? So those of you that are married, I'm sure you've asked this question to yourself many times. Like when you're looking at your spouse and they've said something, do you sometimes go like, what are you thinking? Like what are you, and especially for the guys, you know, they'll say, well, I told you about that. No, you didn't. You thought it in your head. You had a conversation with yourself in your head, but you never told me. I can't read your mind. I don't know your thoughts. Paul asked the question, who knows a person's thoughts? Well, the spirit of that person. They know their own thoughts like nobody else can know. It's the spirit of that person that knows their thoughts. And then look where Paul is going with this. What have we received? As those who believe in Jesus Christ... What have we received? Jesus said, I got to go away to his disciples, and it's better for you if I do, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. What have we received? We have received the Holy Spirit. By our faith in Jesus Christ, he has poured out on those who believe his Holy Spirit. Who knows the thoughts of God? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. The Spirit of God knows God. The Spirit of God knows the depths of God. And he, the Holy Spirit, resides in you and will make known to you God. Paul even refers to Isaiah in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He's quoting from Isaiah 40. The answer is, well, who can instruct God? Nobody, of course. And yet Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. You see, we have the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, God will reveal to us his thoughts. 
So God has made knowing him possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's made knowing him possible through the Holy Spirit, and he's made knowing him possible through his word. In John 12, Jesus says this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. You should know that that's often my prayer to God when I'm thinking about a message that I'm going to preach. God, show me what to say and what to speak. Jesus says, And I know that his commandment, God's word, is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus equates God's word, he equates his commandment with eternal life. In Jesus' prayer in John 17, more than once, he talks about how he has given the disciples God's word. I've given them your word, Father. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word has the, like it's pulsating with the very life of God. When my children were teenagers, I began to feel the call to go back to school and go deeper in my uh, studies of the Bible. I didn't want to do it. I knew it would be hard for me mentally and there would be a significant financial cost, and so I resisted. But it kept coming. You know when God sort of corners you? So it was like, How many conversations did I have with people where the subject of further education came up? I'd be sitting with a client in my office, and out of the blue, he would say, oh, I'm thinking of doing my master's degree. Like, what's going on here? And then the the clincher was, I'm having my time with God, I'm, you know, spending time with him in God's word, and then he gets me. I'm reading his word. Uh, Proverbs 4, verse 7, at the, at the end of it, in the NIV. You know, I don't always read the NIV. Why was I reading the NIV on this day? And I read the second part of this verse, and it says, though it costs you everything you have, get understanding. And I knew exactly what he was saying to me. I said, okay, no more Jonah. I give up. I'm going. Talk to my family. Most of them gave me the green light. Not all of them. (laughs) And I got to tell you, uh, it was a very difficult season in our life, very demanding. I worked half-time, studied full-time. We had no social life. Um, It was very taxing mentally. But through it all, through studying God's word in new and deeper ways, I felt like I know God in a way that I never knew him. See, it wasn't just a study to to have an academic, um, you know, one up on other people. It wasn't to be like a Pharisee. It was to know God. And I studied his word and had the privilege of giving hours and hours to that study. Things would come alive for me, and my relationship with God went to a completely different and deeper level. You don't have to go to school for that. Each one of us can make time, make space for God and read his word and listen to it and study it, contemplate it, commune with God through it and we'll experience life because Jesus says my words are spirit and they're life. They're eternal life. They're, they're, They're a revelation. They're a revealing of God, his heart, his thoughts, his intentions. God has made knowing him possible through the life, 
death and resurrection of Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, through his word. So how well do we know him? How can I grow in knowing God? As I thought about this, Lord, okay, what do you want us to do in taking it home? I said, God, this is just, it seems so basic. And the principles I've outlined here are just, you know, they, we, should, we all know this, and it, you know, the privilege of knowing you and the provision that you've made, God, it's just, I mean, it's just, in some ways, it's so obvious. And yet I, I know that for many of us, the reality of it, the reality of this value being an actual value where we actually experience it and we're living in it and it is something that we prioritize above all things to know God, we fall short. So this morning I just want to say, and, and you'll have to apply it in your life how it makes sense for you, but I do believe that our knowing God is a function of our desire First of all, there's a personal cost. There's a personal investment that is needed. You have to want to know God. You have to desire him. Jesus talked about when he was here on earth, you know, those people that would honor him with their lips, but their heart was really far from him. They didn't really want him. If, if we want to know God, we have to really desire that. And there are all kinds of lesser things the fishing, the cars, or whatever it is for you. There's all kinds of lesser things that will want to crowd out the priority of a relationship with God and knowing him. Girls like it when a guy pursues them. And I think guys like it when girls pursue them too. So know this, God has pursued you. He's taken all the initiative. He's made it all possible but there is a revelation that happens when we, in a sense, pursue him back. When we want him. This amazing story at the end of Luke's gospel where after Jesus has risen from the dead and it's fresh and not everybody knows what's happened and how it's played out and these two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey and as they're on that journey, Jesus comes and joins them and he's... He's listening to them, and they ask him, don't you know what's gone on? You know, the one whom we thought would be the Messiah, the hope of Israel, was crucified. Jesus listens to them, and then he begins to expound the scriptures to them to show them that this was necessary for the Holy One of Israel. This was necessary for the Messiah, that he must suffer and die And then after that part of the conversation, they've reached their destination, and the two are there, they're at their home, and Jesus makes like he's going to keep going. But the scripture says they urged him to stay. They wanted for him to stay. They wanted to be with him. And because he was then with them and he broke bread before them, the scripture says their eyes were opened. There was a revelation of God to them. Our level of knowing God is a function of our desire. Can you think of anybody in Scripture, in New Testament, who knew Jesus as well as the Apostle Paul after his resurrection? He says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, anything I've obtained, anything I've achieved means absolutely nothing to me when I compare it to what it means to know Jesus Christ. 
This is like the biggest value, Paul says, knowing God. He writes on, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's the, the guy speaking that, I mean, he knows God. I mean, he's written a large part of the New Testament. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. That's desire. Knowing God. Our level of knowing God is a function of our desire and time. I think we understand that in a relationship there's mutual disclosure. So when you meet someone and they, they just spill everything out to you about their whole life the first time you meet them, that just seems a little bit, I don't know, awkward? Usually we, there's disclosure over time as your relationship has some history and you develop trust with one another and then there's an opening. You come to know that person in deeper ways over time if, if you want to. So here's the reality in the cultivation of our relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, that will need to occur over time as you make space for him and as you continue to trust him. If you will prioritize God when times are good, so often when times are good, it's we forget God, right? Like, because I don't need him right now. I'm, I'm not in a crisis. And so in those times, if we, will, if we will take the blessings, the good things that God gives us, instead of letting it cause us to forget God, if we will let it drive us to thank him and be grateful and to live in praise towards him, that will foster an ongoing relationship with God. Make space for him in the good, but trust him also in the hard. And Tim, I got to say, so, uh, so amazing to hear you share your story this, this morning and, and so appropriate because, you see, it's in trusting God in the hard times that we go through that we get to know God in another, on another level. How are you going to know personally really the faithfulness of God unless you trust him through the hard times. If you bail every time it gets tough, you're not gonna know the faithfulness of God the way that you could know it. It's in those hard and difficult times as we continue to trust that God reveals things about himself and reveals his faithfulness to you. And when you come out on the other side, you know him in completely different and deeper ways. It's a function of time, space, and trust. You can know God. You can know him more than you know him now. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be with him. He has made it possible. One of the things that sticks in my mind as I think about this subject, my wife and I were visiting an elderly couple that uh, were towards the end of their life. She'd been diagnosed with a really a life-ending disease that would play out over a while. 
And my wife had been doing some stuff for them, I think some painting and some cleaning, and they wanted to have us over for uh, a coffee. And so we were together, hanging out, sharing stories, and we wanted to pray for them. So I asked them, what, what can we pray for you about? Thinking, you know, something about the disease she was going through, the hard times they were experiencing. And together, almost in unison, this is what they said. Now, this is a couple I think were probably in their 80s. They said, could you pray for us? We just want to know God more. Let that be the cry of my heart. When I'm 80, when I'm 85, or all the years that God gives me, let that be the cry of our heart as a church, that we would know him, that we would really know him. This is eternal life, that they might know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this incredible privilege. We know it came at great cost. And so, Lord, our hearts are filled with gratitude and grace. Thank you, Lord, for making a way for us now in this life and for the hope that you've revealed to us in the pictures you've given us of the future. Lord, that we will be with you and we will see you, we'll see your face and not die. That you want us to be with you in your presence. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, whatever needs to be let go, whatever, never, whatever needs to be pushed aside, whatever space and time we need to make with you, whatever act of faith, whatever act of obedience, whatever act of trust, Lord, would your spirit empower us to go there, to be there so that we could know you better. So I just agree, Lord, this morning with the prayer of the Apostle Paul that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened for that purpose in Jesus' name.